When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone and welcome to audio judo i'm matthew and i am kyle we are as i am sure you know by now proud members of the pantheon podcast network in addition uh i can't talk it could be the tequila could be the tequila in addition our spin-off series audio judo does jazz is also a member of the same network indeed if you haven't had a chance to check that out yet we encourage you to go to audiojudo.com forward slash a j d j and give it a try it's a great opening into the world of jazz for the novice listener or the veteran listener who's looking for some unique takes on some of the legends of jazz. Chris is hard at work on that series, and we are glad to be producing it. Yeah, I'm so glad I don't have to write it because it seems like it's a lot of work. I'm writing one episode, and it, <laughs> I've, I've already redrafted that damn thing six times. So like Matthew just said, uh, we are celebrating. We have had a couple of shots of tequila tonight yeah. before we started recording because this is the first episode of our third Season. It's our second anniversary, beginning of our third season. Hard to believe right? that we are almost 60 episodes into this venture and people are actually still listening to right? it. Right? Hello. <laughs> and what's crazy to me is that we have so many people listening from all over the world. All over. All over the world. Like we, countries I can't even pronounce, like K- Maldives. Kazakhstan. Thieves. Kazakhstan. Not Kazakhstan. Is it Kazakhstan? Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Because of that... And because traditions are cool, mm-hmm. and also because I'm a little bit superstitious, this week we're going back to our roots. Yes. Our very first episode on this podcast was about Toad the Wet Sprocket's album, Fear. And our first episode of the second season was an interview with Toad's lead singer, Glenn Phillips. Mm-hmm. This season we are headed back to Toad the Wet Sprocket and covering their 1997 release, Coil. Yes. You were going to say, oh. And I got I to gotta be honest with you. Yes. What was, what was difficult about this for me was normally I write a whole bunch about the band. We don't really want to cover all of that again. We've already talked about them twice. We, yeah. We, yeah. Well, I actually have very little about the band in, in this. Yeah. Many pages. Uh, Coil is the band's fifth full-length album, released a full three years after Dulcinea. That was an eternity in the mid-90s. Yes. And the life of a band. Right. And then, like, the musical world had completely changed a lot in those ensuing three years between Dulcinea and Coil. Looking at what was popular the week that this album was released, here are the top 10 albums for context. 
Number one, Spice by Spice Girls. Oh, possibly one of the greatest albums of all time. Could obviously. Be. Carrying Your Love With Me by George Strait. Okay. Of which I have no familiarity. Yeah, me either. Share My World by Mary J. Blige. Not familiar, but okay. The Notorious Biggs. <laughs> Notorious B.I.G.'s Life After Death, which is an excellent record. It's a posthumous album, too. Yes, it is, it, is a, it is a fantastic record, too. Is it posthumous or posthumous? posthumous. It's posthumous. I always, I always pronounce it posthumous. It's posthumous, but, but it's okay. Uh, that's probably my Utah background. Oh, boy. Please continue. Uh, the soundtrack from Space Jam. I believe I can fly. Yeah. Uh, hit song, I get that. Falling Into You by Celine Dion. I think I've heard of her. I never heard of her before. Bringing Down the Horse by the Wallflowers. <laughs> okay. Pieces of You by uh, Cirque du Soleil's own Jewel. All right. There and you go. Hanson's Middle of Nowhere. Hmm. Oh, and one more. Bajuism by Erica Badu. Okay. So Interesting. It, did, it didn't seem like the opportune moment for a record of slightly ac acoustic music with contemplative lyrics. Yeah. Seems like a weird time. So the band was at a big crossroads at this moment. Uh, they had achieved stardom with fear and followed it up with a solid album in 94 called Dulcinea, not, but it wasn't as big. That album didn't contain the hits of fear, but it was a decent performer. Right. They had recorded both those albums with producer uh, Gavin McKillop, and they felt, especially Glenn, as if they were really beginning to hit their stride as songwriters. Uh, when they decided to use Gavin for Coil, the label was less than pleased with that decision. Mm. They had told them, uh, Toad that is, exactly what was going to happen with the record, and then it happened. Mm. They had told them that they would pull the plug on promoting the album if it didn't perform well. Mm. It didn't, so they did. Glenn relays this story about his meeting with the head of the label. He said, I remember having a meeting with Donnie Iener. At the time, Jerry Harrison was the big producer for bands like us. He had produced and had hits with Live and the Crash Test Dummies. And Iener was like, you need to do what Live did. Their first record didn't do anything. And then they worked with Jerry Harrison and, you know, they had a huge hit. And you need to do that, he said. And then I said, actually... Jerry Harrison produced the record before Throwing Copper, which wasn't a success. <laughs> we want to deepen our relationship with the producer we have and replicate, replicate what happened with Live and Jerry Harrison. He didn't like being corrected on that at all. <laughs> we feared that hurt egos would hurt Coil when it was released. And that's exactly what happened. Indifference from the label. <sighs> that is such a bummer. Right? That super sucks, because the album that they chose to ignore and decided to not promote in lieu of other music is, in my opinion, the band's most cohesive, loudest, and most wonderfully lyrical of all of their records. It is definitely cohesive, and uh, we'll, come, we'll circle back around to this when, it's, when we're done talking about the album. Sure. Because I mentioned that. I also agree with you, the lyrics on this are amazing. Uh, They're so well written and right. so great. I normally do not read reviews of albums mm -hmm. uh, when, when I'm doing research for this, and I normally would not quote somebody that is not somebody who's notable, but I found this quote that I think is just wonderful, and I, I had to repeat it here. Sure. So uh, this is from uh, January 2021, so fairly new. Wow. The username is uh, Dead is Humph. Okay. That is D-E-D-I-S-H-U-M-F. Dead is Humph. Oh, oh, sorry. It's from uh, RateYourMusic.com. Okay. And he says, or they say, uh, Coil is to Toad what Hotel California is in Don Henley's mind 
to the Eagle. <laughs> the difference being that, quote, masterpiece, end quote, is far more accurately descriptive of Coil. It may just be the only perfect rock album ever recorded. Wow. So again, somebody who's possibly a nobody, but- uh, But but he's got strong feelings He's got for strong it. feelings, and I thought that was a perfect way to sum up this album. Right, and I think that's what Toad does for a lot of people. So like Fear- was important to me for the very beginning of my relationship with my wife. This album also landed at a very key moment in my life. It was at the beginning of being a father. Ah. So Glenn is about my age. He's maybe a year older than me. 65. Yeah, 65. And it seemed that a lot of his life was mirroring mine to a certain degree. So we were hitting milestones at around the same time. So his songs reflect some of the wonder and joy, but they also reflect the doubt and questioning and that part of you that's trying to determine if you're on the right track or not. So one thing that becomes immediately noticeable is how much louder and more aggressive the band sounds for a lot of this record. Uh, There are plenty of lighter songs that Toad has become known for, but the electric guitar takes a much more prominent role with distortion, guitar solos making appearances, which is extremely rare for Toad. And I think It's more prominent because there was a lot of anger in the band at this point. There was a lot of finger pointing, and these long-standing relationships were starting to fracture a little bit. This is why this album would cause the breakup of the band and would be the last studio recording uh, Toad did until 2013. So like I mentioned before, the album was released on May 22nd, 1997, and would fail to reach any sales benchmarks. Uh, No gold, no platinum for this record. It spawned one single, Come uh, Come Down, which achieved modest success, got to number 13 on the modern rock chart, number 17 on the mainstream rock chart. It's not bad, uh, but it's certainly not where they used to be. So what do you have over there? uh, You've pretty uh, much covered it all. Did I? I covered everything? You you hit all the documents I had, except for that quote. So uh, let's talk about the cover a little bit, should we? Yeah. It is a very blue cover. It's very blue, and it's also my favorite cover in the Toad catalog. So the way that I would describe it is uh, in the middle, there's a snail shell with a weird blue demon man coming out of it who appears to have just thrown glitter in the air. Uh, There is also a diagram in the upper left-hand corner of probably an orrery or a globe. Uh, What'd you say? Orrery? Orrery? Orrery. O-R-R-E-R-Y. It is um, one of those devices, the mechanical devices that show the orbits of the planets around the sun. Oh, I didn't know that was called that. It's called an orrery. Orrery. Or maybe a globe. It could also be like an old style sailing company. Like a sextant? Yeah, like a sextant. That's the word I couldn't think of the other day. Thank you. On top of that, there's a diagram of some fallopian tubes. Because you know, why not? Because why not? Uh, and then below that, it says toad, the wet sprocket, and coil. Is that emphasis? Uh, your emphasis. Em- is that your emphasis? That is my emphasis uh, on the correct uh, uh, size of the words. Perhaps they were birthing the record perhaps it was down the fallopian tubes <laughs> uh art direction by a uh, mary maurer um but that the, but the artist for it yes dave mckeon did you look him up oh my god yes uh his website by the way is dave mckeon.com that is d-a-v-e-m-c-k-e-a-n.com you want to talk about accomplished oh my god he has probably 200 album covers under his belt yeah Plus um, all the other stuff. Yeah. So the, involved in the Harry Potter series? Yes. Did art, uh, sorry, uh, production design for the Harry Potter series. He's done his own movie, which is a fantastic movie called Mirror Mask. Mirror Mask. Which he co-wrote. He directed it and co-wrote it with uh, Neil Gaiman. Um, oh, 
And also, what else did he do for Neil Gaiman? Oh, he's done uh, a whole bunch of illustrations for a bunch of his books. The Sandman series. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you this, know, just, just that. It's the little things. Like, you it's know. the kind of resume that people salivate over. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I was going to say the two um, album covers that stuck out the most to me that I immediately recognized, uh, Tori Amos's 1994 album, God. It's the one where she's wearing that red weird head thing. And then the other one was- It's also uh, a great record. Oh, it's a great record. Uh, Counting Crows 99, 1999 album, This Desert Life. That's the fishbowl head album cover that everybody recognizes. I recognize that. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, real Renaissance man, uh, Dave McKeon. Very, very talented. Go check out some of his work on his website. Yeah, he it also founded phenomenal. a jazz record label. Yeah, you know, as you do. Called Feral in, Records. In your spare time, you he found a jazz record label. Why designed not? stamps. Mm-hmm. Worked in theater. Like, what What hasn't he done? He is one of those people. I love his work. I think that he's probably a wonderful human being. I absolutely hate him because he makes, no matter what I do in my life, I'm a lazy motherfucker. Well. Because I will never I mean, be. That's, I mean, I mean, I'm never going to found my own jazz label. So. What? Don't sell yourself short. I, I'm not. You it, could totally do it. I mean, I guess I could. You could. I, I'm going to found my own jazz label. I, I say do and it. And I failed. Oh. That was quick. That was really fast. Yeah. Hey, that's all I have. That's all I got, too. Should we do a track by track? We go right to the track by track. We're moving right along. I actually kind of fear us going to the track by track. That's whatever you fear is, uh, that's the first one. That is the first one. It's a very telling opening, both musically and lyrically. Yeah. This album has a lot more up-tempo songs than any of their other records. Uh, Right from the outset, the production, first of all, is immaculate, and the guitars are definitely out front in the mix. Yes. Toad has always been called, people call it a safe band. Uh, their songs don't take a lot of chances and aren't revelatory or groundbreaking. Okay. You know, but, and I always come back to this. Do they have to be? I mean, I love listening to progressive music and uh, the Bowies of the world who hmm. reinvent music and image and take chances and sometimes fall on their asses in the process. But a lot can be said about music that is just really well-written and played, that says a lot about the human condition, even if the human is just one dude. Uh, And as far as it being uh, revelatory, I think it is so revelatory about the kind of things that Glenn was grappling with. One thing I noticed when we spoke to him last summer Mm -hmm. was his sense of humor. Because his songs can be very morose and introspective. And he said something that stayed with me this whole time, and I still refer to it. It can't all be dark. Shadow is what creates drama, and you can't have shadow without light. Hmm. So knowing that, the music becomes the light in many of these songs because there isn't a lot of light in the lyrics. And that's okay because I love them. So from this song and so many more that are to follow, and here's a bit of whatever I fear. We expect these things to change by waking up and suddenly there they are and all I need's a starting place and nothing ever seems so Whatever I have been given, whatever I have been. 
this was the song I could not believe did not get a single. Right. And now knowing that, oh, yeah, the record label was butt sore about something. Yeah. That makes sense why this didn't get a single. Just buried it. It's it's a very good song. I think it's my favorite song on the whole album. I think the two biggest things that I love about this whole album are, we already talked a little bit about the lyrics, the songwriting. They're fantastic. I also love the high dynamic range of this recording. At at this time in the late 90s, everything was this just bloated out. You know, we've talked about the the loudness wars right. before. It was just this bloated, you know, full loud noise. This album doesn't have that. No. And I appreciate it so much listening to it now, especially. Yeah, you can hear everything. You can. You can it's hear like, an acoustic guitar in the middle of a song that has buried with electric guitars. Yeah. You can and, still hear it. Yeah. And it's not just this noise. <laughs> that's what I did. That's the best way I can describe the loudness wars is. Yeah, but I love that. I love the little rare gems that come along from this period from like, you know, the mid 90s to 2010 ish, where there is dynamic range in the album. And you wonder why that that producer wasn't getting a hell of a lot more work then. And it's because everybody was chasing that loudness shit. And they were like, that's what sounds good. That's what people want. They want loud bass in their cars and loud bass in their headphones. So we're going to chase that. Thumping down the street. And in the long term, I mean, to me, one of the things that you have to think of as an artist is your long-term legacy, right? I would think, think, yeah. I don't think there's anybody that's creating music or or paintings or or writing or anything that's like, this is going to be great for five years. Right. There's nobody that has like puts a timeline on their art like that. That's going to be shit. This is 2026. By the time I'm um, by the time I'm 60 years old, this is going to be a piece of garbage. Nobody's doing that. But when you when you give in to those kind of like trends, like the loudest wars and things like that, let's make everything loud. Right. You absolutely date your work immediately. Yeah, you can stamp it. You make it way worse for anybody in the future. Going back to listen to it, they immediately have to be like, oh, yeah, this was recorded in that period where everybody was doing this, so it sounds like shit. Yeah. I, that's, it, what makes, that's what makes these records, to me, Toad Records, timeless, because they sound like they could be from any time. Yeah. Uh, rock and roll-wise. Lyrically, if you listen to it, it is so sad, but I imagine it's very true for a lot of people that are battling depression. Essentially, he is saying... Uh, the thing that he is most afraid of is what confronts him in the mirror himself. Yeah. Lines like, seeing myself this way, I am a monster, I believe, and seeing is believing, is there no doubt left? So he's looking in the mirror saying, oh, I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fame aspect of being a successful musician. So many of the most accomplished musicians that we've talked about are uncomfortable in their own skin when they reach that level of stardom. Yeah. They don't feel like they deserve it. I think that feeling, that unease is what would eventually drive them to pull back and ultimately break up. Uh, The downside is that you still have to make a living, which would eventually make him confront all those demons and do it all again. But this time with the benefit of wisdom and, you know, how to keep fans at arm's length and, and don't get like too wrapped up in that. I do always find it interesting when people who gain that celebrity real quickly early on in their career, and then it either falls apart or wanes off over a few years, how they either figure it out and make their way back. Well, I guess there's three paths. They figure it out and make their way back and live a healthy lifestyle, but they're also still somewhat famous. They 
make their way back and they stay famous, but they are incredibly unhealthy and usually end up, you know, dying because of that. Sure. Or they take a completely different path and do like, you know, start a carpet cleaning business or some weird shit. And it's often, you know, right field somewhere where they're just like, oh, okay, I'm done with this. And 20 years later, they're getting, you know, requests for interviews and they're like, well, I'll squeeze it in. I got two bug sprays I got to do this morning, (laughs) but then I can sit in my truck and do an interview with you, you know? And and again, no shame in that. Don't get me wrong, but- it's it's interesting to me that that happens to so many people who gain that celebrity. You think about where they're at right now. This When they're recording this record, it's 1996. Glenn probably has not had, if it's, if it's in the fall of 96, he hasn't even had his 26th birthday yet. Yeah. They've recorded, this will be, this is their fifth full-length album. They've gone on numerous world tours. They were signed out of high school. It, it, yeah. it, this is how the world's supposed to work. Why isn't it working right now? Yeah. And I think that he has to, they had to do something, you know, they get so high and then you uh, have to come down. You have to come down, which is <laughs> surprisingly, that's, I was so there too. And I was just, I was, I was thinking, I was like, oh, I can do this. And then you got there. Yeah, I was I like, ah, there. now I have to look like a jerk and just repeat it. Yeah. Hey, you gotta do that. You gotta come <laughs> down. Yeah. Come down, man. Yeah. That's the name of the next song. If nobody figured that out yet. Oh. Uh, this is the single from the album. Yes. Uh, it hit. Uh, the sort of the hit from this album as well, the song that most people would recognize from this album, peaked at number 51 on the U.S. Billboard, like you said, peaked at number 38 on the Canadian RPM Top Singles chart. Wow. I believe that was the highest position on any chart, but... Uh, moderate, yeah, moderately successful. Yeah. Uh, nice air... Occasionally gets played on lithium or 90s radio, but yes. it's usually passed over for Fall Down or All I Want from Fear. Uh, and it's very much written in that vein. Probably the reason why it was chosen to be the single, because it's very similar to those two songs. Mid-tempo rocker with fairly nondescript lyrics. Sounds like this. So like the first song and the one to follow this one, it's really, sh- it's it's short. Yeah. It's a little over three minutes. The other two songs are a little under three minutes. Not a lot of time for dilly-dallying with the message or the music. Yeah. But the lyrics are good. It's a running theme on the majority of this record. Uh, this time, he's more uh, indicting himself to his lover about the fact that he isn't very present. Whether yeah. that is emotional or physical presence is not really clear, but he's definitely pleading for understanding. Lines like... Won't you come down, help me stand, there's healing in your hands, won't you come down where I am, words all leave me. And it's good, it's powerful, um, but it's just going to get more so as this album continues. Like, it, like it's really broad strokes at the top, and then it, it starts to really get m- more specific. It comes to a point. Yeah, and the music is phenomenal, and it spoke to me in ways that I really needed to be spoken to at that time. Hmm. Um, 
you have any more about this song? No, it's. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, I know a lot of the songs on this album deal with those same concepts, you know, uh, 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 relationships, specifically dealing with relationships falling apart, um, losing your faith. Yes. And uh, deception is a, is a thing that comes up a lot in this album. Is it, Yeah. And is it self-deception? Yeah. yeah. Or is it being deceived by other people or is it you deceiving other people? Hard to tell. It's a, left a little ambiguous. Yes. Uh, Rings. This is one of my very favorite Toad songs. I uh, can see that. Because it is just lyrically a pretty perfect song, and the way he uses metaphor in this song is so good. So around the time that this album came out, I was 25 years old, uh, and Heather and I had been married for less than three years. Uh, we had moved from Michigan to Colorado. We got jobs. We bought our first house. She had given birth to our first son, Christian, in November of the previous year. I'm glad that was her and not you. I didn't, yeah. Needless to say, a lot had changed. So during those times, you don't have a lot of time to contemplate all the changes that occur because you are smack in the middle of all of it happening. But to summarize, I was frankly terrified all the time. (laughs) I I was scared about whether or not I was doing the right thing day to day and raising a child. Was I saying the right things, playing the right way, getting him the right stuff, giving him the right lessons? I was terrified about the prospects of ending up in a crap job for the rest of my life that would give me no satisfaction and just spit <laughs> me out the other end of 40 years like my job, my dad's job had. Um, I was terrified about being a good husband, a worthy husband for Heather. And then to add to that, friendships that I was trying to cultivate and basically I was trying to be a grown-up. Yeah. And I felt like I was no good at any of the things I was doing. (laughs) And of course, being a man, I can't tell anyone that, least of all the person who was carrying even more of that stuff than I was, my wife. So when I began to examine this album lyrically, it was clear that, that Glenn was going through many of the same things that I was and had the ability to say the things that I felt. This song basically compares a man to a tree and asks the question of his partner, Are you the plane that smooths the board? What a fantastic line. That is a really good line. To begin a song. Are you going to be the instrument that takes away all of my hard edges, that refines me, that helps me to become the person I am supposed to be? And it goes on saying, isn't it strange to see my life? You must cut me down to look inside. This ring tells of rain. This one tells of summer. Saying in order for you to understand the kind of person I am, you have to look way inside into those memories that created me and helped to form the person that I am right now. Sometimes they're dark. This ring tells of rain. Sometimes they're great. This one tells of summer. And while I knew that my wife knew a lot about me, she didn't know a lot of things from when I was a kid that helped shape me. And this song forced me into that position to confront a lot of my old addiction issues, to be upfront about my fears and my worries. Long story short, there is no right way to do any of the things I was talking about. It's more just about finding your own path through it, navigating it as best you can. And I think based on the wonderful kids I have, Heather must have done something right. So (laughs) here's one of my favorite parts of the song right here.
I'm so glad you picked exactly that part in the song. Yeah. Because that was the quote that I had written down to talk about. How is it I remember knowing that I would live forever? Isn't it strange how truth can change? How truth can change. That, I think there's three things going on here. So first of all, the name of this song, Rings, obviously rings in a tree, but also the ring that you wear when you're married. Absolutely. I mean, perfect metaphor right there for for That's what I'm talking about. Everything. <laughs> on top of that, I think he's talking about three different things here. He's talking about trees, obviously, because, you know, yeah, that's sort of what the base is for this whole song. Sure. But then he's talking about the relationship that he has with his loved one. You know, uh, once you do that, once you enter that relationship, you sort of form a, what am I trying to say here? You form that relationship and it's something that will go on forever, not only because now that knowledge of the relationship and that existence of the relationship lasts forever, but because maybe you're going to procreate. Like you were saying, yeah. you're going to have kids and that's, that's immortality right there. That's mm-hmm. how people achieve immortality is by having children. So they, their children can have children and their children can have children and, and so, so on and so forth. And they tell your stories and go on forever. Right. I, I love it. It's a good song. I love it. it the harmonies in that part are so great. And it's, I really feel like that's, it's the height of their song crafting. You know, it's just so good. I, the only, the only thing, if I had something to fix I wish this song was 90 seconds longer. Really? That's all I wish. Just like, it's so just short. Just like one more verse? One more verse. I know he's got it in him. Oh, yeah. And it's just truly a wonderful song. And you should email him and ask him if he can make an extended cut of it. I do song. have his email address. Yeah, I know. <laughs> From when we interviewed him, like, you should- uh, I'll just call him. Like, yeah. hey, why don't you put Glenn, another you, verse on there, dude? Glenn, if by some miracle you're listening to this episode, if you could make a one more verse for this song- from a from a what a twenty four year old album. I know you have it. You probably you have got it in you. You, you probably, probably cut that already. verse out. You're like, no. You could just do that live at some point on like Facebook. We'll give you a tip. Even if the verse is like about that band, uh, shit piss fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot he talked about that band. Oh, I was gonna look them up. Damn it! All right, I'll have to do that now. That's uh, probably what the third verse is that's about. That's probably what the third per- verse is about. It's this happy song about you know living forever and being in a relationship. And then I listened to a band <laughs> called Ship His Fuck and right? yeah. enjoyed myself. So good. But you know what? Because if you hold that in so long, then the dam would break. Y- you know what, though? What? Before the dam is going to break, oh. I think we should take a break ourselves. Oh, that was really because, nice. Because uh, honestly, my dam is about to break and I need to go. Okay. So uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Damn, would break, Kyle. Damn, damn. If I was your girlfriend. <laughs> Different song, Matthew. <laughs> oh, it's if man. I was your lover. Oh, it? boy. Oh, I fucked that up twice. Oh, no, right. it's okay. This, Dam- damn, would break. This stretch of four songs to open the record. One of my favorite four song stretches that I've ever really? listened to. Yes, I love it. I used to listen to only these four songs because it lasted the duration of my drive to work. So I was really familiar with this particular grouping. Uh, And it's another song that says so much. Like sad songs say so much. This one also say so much. I also happen to think that it is uh, Glenn's very best vocal performance right here. Ooh.
love that uh, la da do. I love that. That's a cool, it's a cool part of the song. That tearing in his voice is so powerful. And when the music drops out behind him, it's simple, simple thing, but so well done. Uh, and I've always wondered whether this song was about faith or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's more likely a plea to a loved one, I think. But I wouldn't put it past Glenn. He has written about faith in the past. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like this could be both, too. I mean, it could be a, a, a double entendre song. Uh, lyrics like, the only, con- only constant in the world for me, every hour of every day, I need to fight from pulling away. So honestly, when I think about a second time, I kind of think it's about the impending end of the band. Oh, like he was being crushed under this weight of the band. And if he left, the dam would break. So he was staying with it, even though it was the primary cause of his frustration. Hmm. Um, it's definitely a struggle song, but it's such a great, great song. I like that. It's just a, it's a wonderful song. It was not even something I had considered, but I like it. Uh, whoa. Did you get Irish all of a sudden? I did. I don't know why. <laughs> what do you desire, Kyle? Uh, lucky Charms right now. Right now? Yeah, right now. I put, You know what? There's a big sack of Lucky Charms. Oh, sweet. Ian. What what do I desire? Yeah. Uh, I don't need anything. I'm just wanting, Matthew. Just wanting. Just wanting. This is not necessarily one of my favorite songs in the record, but I still enjoy it. It's uh, It seems a little heavy-handed. Mm, a little bit. For Glenn, with the crunchy guitar chords and kind of tough-sounding lyrics, you know? It even contains a pretty long guitar solo, one of the rarities in the Toad catalog. Yes, it is very rare, isn't it? That being said, though, Hmm. uh, it does serve a purpose if you look at this record as a sort of culmination of how Glenn was really feeling about the band. It's a song about desire, right? And it seems as though he has the desire to do something fairly uncharacteristic for him and the band, and that's to make a loud, aggressive song that kind of breaks down those barriers that they have been limited by. Gone are the lilting, sweet acoustic guitar and enter in the distorted electric guitar, sort of a far cry from where they've been. Uh, And while I think he definitely craves his privacy and doesn't necessarily want the attention that he's been getting, he still desires all these things that are different from the life that that he has. And here's a piece of desire right here. definitely wants something. He wants something. He wants all the things that have eluded him because of his fame. Lyrics like this, I want to scream, I want to shout, I want to have faith and never doubt. I want to bend, I want to break, to sleep and never wake. Break down walls and to escape, be alone and hide my face. Sleep and never wake, huh? Yeah. Hmm. That's some suicide talk right there. That is. And I know he was super depressed after this record, but it's pretty clear he wasn't necessarily in a good place before they made it either. Uh, also, Glenn has had has had a lot of Eastern religion 
influence in his life. Yes, he has. Buddhist teachings, as we will see later on the record. Mm -hmm. But one of the sources of suffering is desire. Uh, and I think there could be a connection for another song later on. Yeah, I believe you are correct. But don't fade, Kyle. Don't, I'm, oh, shit, I just faded. Uh, where'd you go? I just uh, oh, took crap. a bunch of drugs and faded out of existence. Oh, did you have, like, in my wine and weed, and then you yes. cross-faded? When that point hit where the two <laughs> lines meet, and I was like, wow. Wow. It's a mellow song, more akin yes. to their earlier sound again. However... Strong religious overtones here. Yes. Very strong religious tones. So while the production and Glenn's voice are definitely more respective of the current era of Toad, the sound of the song is more like fear, to, in my mind. I would agree. So did you find this story? I did, did not. Okay, so it took a lot of digging, but I found an interview with Glenn where he described what the song was actually about. Oh, good. Uh, apparently, he wrote it about an encounter that he and his wife, his then-wife, had with a holy man in India. He led the couple through this really intense spiritual journey, but then just at the end ended up hitting them up for a whole bunch of money. <laughs> so, and this song really expresses Glenn's frustration with the whole thing and with the line, how can you forsake the love of God like that? And it's overall a really sweet song, but there's a lot of anger in there as well. And here's some anger right here. Imagine that. He's pissed. Right? <laughs> I duped I, like that. I also think, too, this is funny, because this is exactly the quote that I pulled from this song. So, Matthew and I don't compare notes before we record these not even, episodes. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. And so often this will happen <laughs> where Matthew, if it's uh, an episode that Matthew has suggested, he'll pull all the audio from it. And then I will have quotes of exactly the part that he pulled the audio from, right. or vice versa, where I'll pull the audio and Matthew will have a quote of exactly what I just pulled. But uh, right before the the uh, audio clip that you had, yeah. the line is, uh, he let us down at the water's edge. We knelt, petals in the lake and red upon my face. She's crying as we pray. And it all comes down to money again. How could you forsake the love of God that way? Don't fade. You're staying here with me. Don't fade. I need to know that someone still believes. Even without knowing that story that you just told, <laughs> this immediately, in my mind, sprang this idea of like a priest, you know, oh, we're going to baptize you. We're going to go down to the water and pray. And then like, oh, and by the way, the church could really use your tithing. Could yes. you go ahead and give us some money before we do this? By the way, here comes the offering basket. Right. Right at the opportune time. Right. And here it is. Ching, 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 ching. <sighs> I'm glad that we pulled... Those same things. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Serendipity right? is a great thing, but it also means that like the the really important parts of the song stick out to more than just me. Yeah. And I think that's that's a good reminder that, oh, 
Oh, it, it is affecting other people. It yeah. does touch other people, and that's cool. The, the guitars on here are excellent again. Ooh, very good, yes. And I've mentioned, we've mentioned Glenn a lot in this episode, and really all four of the guys shine on it. Glenn Phillips on vocals and guitar, Todd Nichols on lead guitar, Dean Dinning on bass, and Randy Gus on drums. They are really wonderful, understated, and underappreciated musicians. And just thought I had to do a shout-out, because yeah, we didn't good. really we talk didn't really about We didn't really cover a lot of the band, again, because we've already done it in two previous episodes. I know. So, but I feel but you got you to you just... You definitely got to give them a shout-out. Also, one more thing. I think this is the first instance that the word pallor was used in a song. He says, uh, oh. uh, the pallor on my face. So I knew that pallor meant pale-looking face, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize until I looked it up that it actually means unhealthy pale looking face oh so so that's not good but again telling of where glenn was at the time that's a very specific word yeah you you little big man matthew i'm a little you you, want to go you little big man i'm a little man big man little Little, man big man little man big man you little big man you want to go quite honestly this is not one of my favorite songs on the record but it's all right it's not bad i definitely feel like this is uh this is about growing up this is about becoming moving from a child into adulthood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's about you know being the little man and then being the big man. And there's other things that I so doesn't do a hell of a lot for me musically. That is, but when you start to take a deep dive on the lyrics, it makes me wonder if this is actually about nuclear war and or disarmament. Oh. So, as I'm sure you are aware, Kyle, the yes. atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were called Fat Man and Little oh, Boy. boy. Uh, the lines in the song. It's all in the damage that our toys can do. It's all in the violence of the games we play. These lines seem to indicate that this is where the song was headed. But when you take it apart a little further, it seems to be more about, like you said, growth and maturity and having the strength and wisdom to walk away when it would be the easy choice to cause harm instead. Yeah. What I wonder if uh, this was influenced by that documentary, Little Boy and Fat Man. Because it would have come out around this time, late nineties. Oh yeah, maybe. Hmm. Never didn't didn't put that together until just now when you said that. But uh, well, here interesting. Here, listen to it right here. It's a good piece. Who'd throw stones? Who'd walk away? It's a big question, uh, because I think that most people would like to believe that they would walk away and turn the other cheek. But realistically, in our society, most people are picking up that stone and hurling it. Yes, they are. It's not my favorite tune on the record, but it's still good, and it still tells a great message. And it doesn't make me want to, uh, you know, throw it all away. Yeah. Wait a minute. What? That's the next song. It is. Who would have thought? I love this song. Always have. In fact, when this album was released, uh, this was my favorite song on the record. Fair enough. I think if this song was a little bit more whimsical, this would be a They Might Be Giants song. Oh, you went that direction. And I think if it was a little bit more whiny, it would be an R.E.M. song. R.E.M. So I I have something else. (laughs) 
Uh, the rhythm of the song and the melody have forever reminded me of Hootie and the Blowfish's first record, Cracked Rear View. <laughs> I can see that. So if anyone from the Toad Camp is listening, don't get upset. It just has that vibe to the song, and I love it, and it sounds like this, so you'd be your own judge. Take your cautionary tales Take your incremental game And all the sycophantic games Throw them all away Burn your TV in your yard Gather around it with your friends And warm your hands upon the fire And start again (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we were singing along uh, in the background. So the song is about what? All the pointless things in life that bog you down and having the ability to start all over. And when you take a closer look at the lyrics, how much he speaks to TV and those seemingly mindless pursuits, it seems to be about abandoning the things that take you away from reality and the kind of person you could be if you rid yourself of it. The lines, tear up the calendar you've bought, throw the pieces to the sky, confetti falling down like rain, like a parade to ushering your life. There's such a great rhythm to those words. And just think about that. The calendar isn't your life. Yeah. It's everything else. That old sentiment. Work to live. Don't live to work. Throw that shit out and begin to experience and live. Being 24 years old at this time, 24, 25, and hearing that with all the stuff we were battling was so important and, dare I say, revelatory. Even though they said this band didn't have any of that. Wow. I know, right? What a revelation. Bringing it all. Well, but if I get hit on the head, you know. You might get amnesia, which is the name of the next song. This is totally like it could be a Stone Temple Pilots or a Fuel song. Holy crap. The uh, Hemorrhage by Fuel totally reminds me of that opening. Hemorrhage and uh, uh, Bush. Yes. It has that kind of sound. And what a powerful song in so many ways. First of all, absolutely the loudest, rockiest song in all of Toad's catalog. Uh, Desire from earlier on the record was the loudest up until this point, three songs later. (laughs) The distortion is so relevant, so important, so vital to the song's execution. Second, in Toad circles, this song is actually known as the Holocaust song. Oh. Uh, One look at the lyrics, and that's pretty obvious and haunting, and it makes total sense why this song is as loud and chaotic as it is. Lyrics like, never mind what they said. Forget about the things you read. It was something you'll never know, never see, never understand. It references pretty hard the work of German pastor Martin Niemöller, who wrote a poem called First They Came. Oh, yes. Part of it reads like this. First they came for the socialists, and I, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. They, then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. It's an unbelievably strong statement. Yes. And it sounds like this.
that uh, that quote uh, that you read just earlier. Yeah. Fantastic quote when it is applied to things like actual fascism and oppression. Yeah. Uh, not a great quote when it is applied to things like, you won't let me park my truck in the handicapped spot. <laughs> first they came. F- first, first they came. First they came for the people who drove the giant dooleys. And I did not. Because I did not, I say did anything, not drive a dooley. I did not drive a giant dooley. <laughs> then they came for the people with toy haulers. But I did not say anything because I did not pull a toy hauler. And then they came for the people with motorhomes. And no one was left to speak for me, the motorhome owner. Like, it, it could be misapplied. It is very misapplied by so many people in society today. And it, it's very upsetting. And honestly, I have seen a bumper sticker to that effect. That That's exact horrible. Effect. And it is, it is horrible that you would take something that is supposed to apply to some group of people that is actually being oppressed, like the Jews during the Holocaust, cannibalize black people um, forever. And then cannibalizing it and being like, it applies to this very specific it applies to my pickup truck. shit situation that I'm involved in. Like, uh. First they came for the shotgun owners, but I did not say anything, for I did not own a shotgun. Then they came for the machine gunists, but I did not say anything because I did not own a machine gun. Then they came for the handgun owners, and there was no one left to speak for me, the handgun owner. Like... No, that doesn't apply. Damn it. Like, hmm. <laughs> there's a very specific group of people that I'm I'm that I believe hear this quote and then immediately take it and like, yes, that applies to yeah, me. That my applies stupid, to me. Stupid niche situation. But uh niche? Niche. The stupid niche situation. I love this song. It's so good. It is. It's very good. Back and in- it is I I it's uncharacteristically loud for a toad <laughs> song. Chaotic and noisy. Yeah. Uh, back in 2016, when Heather and I saw them here in Las Vegas, uh, we had uh, VIP tickets, and they did a little mini concert for the VIPs, mm-hmm. and they played a bunch of stuff acoustically, uh, just the four of them, and they did a portion of this song that way, and it was even more impactful, Wow, quieter. Yeah, It was just because all of a sudden, the lyrics became the thing, and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> now I see. I loot a little Buddha. Little Buddha, tiny little Buddha. It's a strange little quirky song. It is. About I, one of the primary tenets of the Buddhist philosophy. You know, as you do. I love how it opens with silence. Yeah. I love how there's this extended silence. You're like, wait, did something go wrong with the playback or what's going on? And then it starts. Because that in itself is a tenet of Buddhism that, you know, you should experience silence. some silence. So the song begins with the words, life is suffering. As I alluded to earlier, Glenn has a strong attachment to Eastern religion. The basic doctrines of early Buddhism which remain common to all Buddhism, include the four noble truths. Existence is suffering. Suffering has a cause, namely craving and attachment. There is a cessation of suffering, which is nirvana. And there is a path to the cessation of suffering. So as the story goes, however, while he is definitely interested in the Eastern religion, this song mostly had nothing to do with that. Oh, Apparently he had a friend who had a little Buddha statue on his coffee table. <laughs> and occasionally he, the friend, would pick it up and say, life is suffering, tee-hee-ha-ha. <laughs> and this became so popular amongst their group of friends that Glenn would eventually turn it into this song. <laughs> Here's a portion of that song right here.
cannot believe you did not play any of the teehee haha part. <laughs> I did not. Because I wanted to get one very specific line in. Fair enough. Yeah. You want to go? You want to talk about that line? Or you, you got something? To, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I say the teehee haha part. Yeah. Immediately think made me think of uh, Nelson Muntz from The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you don't know, he's a fictional character. Uh, he's also the school bully from the animated TV series The Simpsons. Uh, he's best known for his signature mocking laugh. Ha ha. Ha ha. He's voiced by Nancy Cartwright and was introduced in season one's Bart the General as the antagonist, but later he became more of an anti-hero. Is he an anti-hero? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I guess he is. Uh, but I, I, I do always wonder, whenever I hear somebody say ha ha, ha just ha. he's so influential in in the build-up, the makeup of society at this point. I wish they would like, do that. They should do that in this song if they do it live. Because uh, they were supposed <laughs> to do the, the 20th anniversary of Coil, like a few years ago. I think they did, but... but Maybe next year they do the 25th anniversary of Coil. There you they go. They play Little Buddha and do that. Tee, ha, 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 ha. Just throw that in there. That'd be great. This song is very unique for its instrumentation. Utilizes a full chamber orchestra. Mm-hmm. Very lush, full sound. And the drums don't make an appearance until halfway through the song. That great march part, where it's almost like a, a march beat. And then there's the last little bit. So the last word of the song that is sung for quite a while and becomes a bit mantra-like is the word Maya. Mm-hmm. Never before have I found out so much about a word that I didn't even know was in the song to begin with. <laughs> so I've been listening to this record for 24 years, and I just thought they were singing, not singing a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that word Maya is a term found in Sanskrit Buddhist literature that refers to a magician's illusion or the illusionary nature of reality. So It also directly translates as pretense or deceit. Deceit. So the illusion is how people misunderstand themselves and their reality. Essentially, it's their ignorance. There is a line in the song, and that's why I played it. It's only illusion, and then it's gone. And that makes that song so much better now. Yeah. Now that I know that it wasn't just a word in a, or, or a it's bunch of sounds. Right. It's, it, they were actually saying something. I'm like, damn it. I, uh, I liked the definition of... Uh, pretending to exhibit or claiming to have a good quality that one lacks. And you said earlier at the outset of the program here about deception. Mm-hmm. Comes up over and over and over again hmm. in this album. That's a crazy life. Right? Hey, wait oh, a minute. Hey. You did it again. Oh, boy. Back in the old days of Toad, mm-hmm. like their first couple albums, Pale, Bread and Circus, uh, it was really difficult to tell the difference between Glenn and Todd when Todd would occasionally take the singer duties. Okay. Uh, they were <laughs> both they were both kind of mumbly and they both sung in the low register and their mixes were kind of shitty and muffled. So it was hard to discern who was actually singing. So over the next six or seven years, Glenn's vocal register went up significantly mm-hmm. and their production got miles better. So you could tell right away that this song has Todd Nichols on vocals. Mm -hmm. Uh, This song was originally written and released for the Empire Records soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Um, I keep saying "Mm -hmm," for mm -hmm. some reason, but continue. I don't know that there exists a more soothing protest or anti-government song than this one. It tells a story, I'm sure you have, it tells the story of Leonard Peltier. Mm -hmm. And it's a very complicated story. Peltier was a Native American activist in the 70s, long history of violence associated with his activism. 1975, he traveled to the Pine Ridge Reservation in the hopes of stemming 
some of the violence that had been taking place there for years between tribal factions who were clamoring for leadership. Uh, at the same time, two federal agents were searching for one Jimmy Eagle, a young man wanted for questioning about a recent assault that had taken place. Soon after, or soon after seeing Jimmy's vehicle and following it, the agents uh, came under heavy fire and were eventually killed. Apparently, 125 bullet holes Whoa. were found in their car. Eventually, three men, including Peltier, were arrested for the murders, despite the numerous verifiable alibis that Peltier had. He was convicted and sentenced to two consecutive life terms. Hmm. Now, his case has become a celebrity cause celebre yes. over the years, as there were numerous holes in the prosecution's case. Calls for clemency have come from Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, Jesse Jackson, and just about every celebrity on the activist list. The song Testify by Rage Against the Machine is about this event. Mm -hmm. The polar opposite of this particular song. Yeah. Uh, he has been denied clemency many times, as recently as 2018, from President Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, it's a very complex story, but I encourage you to take some time and read about it. It is a very interesting. Go on. It is. Uh, I was just going to yeah. say, it's a very, like you said, everyone seemingly that's into any type of activism has had a finger in this story at yes. some point and been interested in it. And then for some reason, they sadly sort of move away from it. And it's a very... Because, I mean, if I don't want to take away from anyone's, you know, uh, uh, recreational reading. Yeah. But if you do read it, you'll see that that there, while there are holes in the prosecution's case, there are also holes in his alibi. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that don't marry up. And it's, I think it's one of those situations that we're never going to know what actually happened. Yeah. Ever. Um, it's just the way it's going to go. Uh, this song itself is a staple of their live show. It's a nice break for Glenn to step away from the mic, even though he does provide backing vocals, and includes some really, really great guitar work by Todd, and it sounds like this. version of this song was originally recorded in 94 during the sessions for uh, the Dulcinea album. Mm -hmm. uh, the credits in the liner notes uh, indicate the same studios and engineers were used uh, for the Dulcinea sessions and this song. Um, like you said, it was originally released on the soundtrack to 95's uh, Empire Records. Uh, sorry, the soundtrack to 1995's Empire Records. Uh, but the band really felt like it deserved a place on a real album uh, and it fit with this album's theme, sort of. So they had a new organ track cut for it. Uh, they cut new background vocals and had uh, Tom Ward Algae uh, do a new mix for it. They also, uh, the intro fade-in was cut short, and the speed of the whole song was increased a little bit. Yeah, just to make it more upbeat. Just a touch. Just a touch. It's a great song live. It is It is cool to see the other main guy uh, in the band. And he's just, he's a, 
I've met him before too after mm-hmm. one of the shows, Todd, and he's just this really quiet, reserved guy. He doesn't doesn't have a family. He lives up in Northern California, and he's like this really active fisherman, and he makes guitars in his garage and goes mm. fishing. And he's just this really quiet dude. And just to see him take the mic, and you're like, that's cool, hmm. that's cool. And he's such a he's such a really underappreciated guitarist. He just there's so much color in in his sound that I love it. I love it. And uh, so All Things in Time. The final track of this album. It's another quintessential Toad song. It's wonderfully written melodies, soft acoustic guitar parts, coupled with some great lyrics. And to me, this song has always been about friendship. Uh, Those friends that you have your whole life. And it might not even be friends that you talk to on a regular basis. You may go years without talking to them, but you know in an instant, if you were to talk to them, that they would understand what you needed. Uh, friends that grow separately apart. Like, you don't grow apart and away from each other. You just grow separately, like linear, like right next to one another. Instead of like parallel to one Exactly. And uh, a song sounds like this right here. I've been changing my heart. Crash course in life. Best you can do is get in fine. Getting out of life. I hold alive for you to see. All things in time. All you ever need. So Call me up when you need. Strangers often deceive. That's I love that line. That is a good line. Part of me would like That's to a line I wrote down. Is well. it? <laughs> Part of me would like to know how close they were to actually breaking up the band at this point. Yeah, uh, they wouldn't announce the breakup until after the tour sometime in '98. But I feel like they know that something was breaking. And maybe this song was that reminder to Glenn that while the band isn't working out, these guys were always his friends. Uh, I like that. If they called, he'd listen and vice versa. And they were never that far away from each other. So after this, Glenn would release a few solo records. Todd and Dean would form a new band called Lapdog that wouldn't have much success. And eventually, uh, several years after that, they would decide to tour as Toad again and do like some summer tours, Hmm. 10, 15 dates. And I'm sure that that time together and the subsequent years in between their breakup probably softened whatever attitudes they had and the reasons why they broke up in the first place. And this song is like that that marking line, like, hey, I'm going to, maybe we don't have, maybe we can't make music right now, but I'm always going to be your friend. We grew up together and, and I'll always be here for you. In 2013, they released a new album, New Constellation, and have continued to tour and make music. Uh, their next album, starting now, comes out in August of this year, and I'm very, very excited about that. Yeah. The first two singles are fantastic. and That sounds cool. And that's Coil. There it is. It's a record that remains an important part of my young adulthood, one that I go back to over and over for comfort, for reassurance, um, and I think it's fantastic. And let us know what you think about Coil. Please. Or Toad the Wet Sprocket or any, anything else that may be on your mind. You can get a hold of us at Audio Judo on Twitter, at Audio Judo on Facebook, or at Audio underscore Judo on Instagram. If you want to send us an email, 
The address is info at audiojudo.com. And please do that. We do respond to all of them. Yeah. And we love hearing from people. Go to our website for more episodes at audiojudo.com. And if you're really sick and tired of us doing albums that you hate, then maybe you should join our Patreon and pick one out for yourself. You can, because at our highest tier, the Backstage <laughs> Past tier, it is 20 bucks a month, but... Uh, you get uh, a very special personalized gift from us. It is not poop in a box. I will tell you that up front. Uh, you also get the chance no to co-host an audio judo episode on uh, the album of whatever you choose. Uh, this benefit this benefit activates after one year of patronage at this tier, and it can only be activated once. Uh, but you also get all the benefits of our previous tier, which is the front row seats tier. It's five bucks a month. Uh, it includes two-day early access to all the episodes, a shout-out on a future episode as a loyal producer, uh, bonus mini-episodes called Judo Chops. We release basically those come out every in-between week of regular episodes, um, and occasionally bonus content such as unedited interviews, behind-the-scenes videos, and tiny tidbits that got cut out of episodes uh, mostly due to us doing horrible, ungodly things. <laughs> That's it. That's Coil. Perfect. Other than that, uh, we have an exciting year of episodes and interviews coming up. Yes. And we hope that you will continue to join us. We're so glad that you've been with us this long. And if you're brand new, welcome and uh, catch up. There's only 58 other episodes before this one. Great. Take care, everybody. Stay safe out there. Bye-bye. good one i like that i did too i think we were both very drunk it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.